you can have a seat. You know, it doesn't take long watching a news report or reading a news article in, in the last couple weeks even to feel like the world around us is really unstable. I mean, we've seen the, the toppling of a major political leader in our country. We've seen the outbreak of a war in the Middle East and all that's going on. And that's just two things in a couple weeks that have a lot of big news stories. And, and we look around and say, why is this happening? What's going on? It just feels so very unstable, and we wonder, how do we get through this? What do, what do we do about this? And that happens on this world sort of geopolitical scale, but it also happens in our own lives. There are things that happen, and we feel unstable because we, we face a sickness, we face a death, we face a broken relationship, some kind of crisis in our family. All those things make us feel like the world around us is really unstable. And for the past several weeks, we've been looking for some sources of stability in the midst of a very unstable world. And we've been looking to Scripture to find those sources of stability. We've talked about the nature of God, right? God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and how all three of those work in our lives to help us feel more confident about the world around us. We've talked about the church and how the church can be a source of stability in our lives. And then last week we talked about love and how pursuing love is always a constant, always the highest virtue. And when we do that, we're on the right track. So today I want us to bring this whole series to a close by turning a little bit and thinking about, okay, what about the future and how we view the future? You know, I've told this before that I have a real problem with worry. I am a worrier. I'm really good at worrying, not so good at overcoming worry. And most of my worries begin with two words. What if, right? What if I get sick? What if uh, something happens with our finances? What if something happens to the church? What if the furnace breaks down? What if, what if, what if? And you know, if we conquer one of those what ifs, if you're like me, there's one standing right behind it to take its place to cause more worry. And, and that creates this sense of instability. It creates a sense of fear because we don't really know what the future is going to be, right? And even though 9 out of 10 or maybe 99 out of 100 of the things that I go, what if this happens, never actually happen, it doesn't always stop me from worrying. It creates a certain amount of fear. So we have that fear. And the thing is, we as Christians should be known as a people who are not a people of fear, but a people of hope. And yet it seems like in our world, people see us as a people who have a lot of fear. Fear about the moral landscape, fear of what's coming in our world, all kinds of fears that well up inside of us. And, and really, sometimes that's characterized. Maybe you've seen the, the meme that's been going around, and at the top it says something like, the Lord said not to fear, and then there's a picture of a famous televangelist who's passed, and at the bottom it says, in quotes, as though he's saying it, you may have demons lurking in your thrift store finds, right? Okay, so... I shop at Goodwill a lot. I don't think I've ever brought home a demon, okay? But it's just one more thing that the world looks in and says, you guys are so worried. Why are you so afraid? I want us to think about that and how we can find confidence and courage in the face of a lot of fears that we may have 
about the future. And to do that, I want us to turn again to the book of Revelation. We, we began this series in Revelation and talked a little bit about the nature of God there. And today I want us to turn to the very end. Okay, if you don't even know how to navigate your Bible, that's okay. Revelation's the last book and we're in the last couple chapters. So just turn to the end. And if there's still text there, you can find it right at the very end. We'll get there in a minute. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, if we're talking about fear of the future, why in the world are we turning to Revelation? Because if I read Revelation, it only makes me more afraid. And the truth is, there are a lot of sort of scary things in the book of Revelation. And as I said the first week when we opened Revelation, some people get excited when you look at Revelation. Some people don't want to do it because it is scary and weird. Some people don't care. I don't know where you are in that, but yes, there are some scary things going on there. And in fact, what, what I see is there's some things that I don't understand. I can understand the first two or three chapters. I can understand the last two chapters, all the middle part. There's plenty of things that I don't get. But what I do know is when I come to the end, I fully believe one of the things that John is telling us is that we don't have to be afraid. Now, that's a message that is consistent throughout Scripture. And in fact, one of the most common commands in Scripture is do not fear. And we could look in lots of places today to see some instruction that would help us overcome our fear of an unstable world. Read the book of Psalms. It is all about that kind of thing, overcoming fear. But there's some words here in Revelation 21 that I think really do help us. And what Revelation 21 and 22 are all about are John's vision of eternity. Okay, now I use that in a little different way than we do. Sometimes we talk about our vision for our business or our family or our finances or church or whatever else. And what we mean by that is this is what I want to happen. Well, this is not just what John wanted to happen. What we have here is God giving John a vision of what is to come to share with the church. So this is really a picture of the reality that God painted for John of what's yet to come. So what does he say about that? Listen to this. Revelation 21, we're just going to look at the first four or five verses. This is verse 1. He says, Then I saw, so this is a vision, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now if you read that, you see a new heaven and a new earth are in quotes. What is that about? Well, what John is doing is quoting from Isaiah, who wrote hundreds of years before, and he's sort of saying, listen, this is actually not anything new because God has been painting this picture of what is yet to come for hundreds of years. So what I'm telling you is just the fulfillment of everything God's already been working on, but it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, from the outset, John begins to challenge some of our presuppositions when we think about what is yet to be. Because we normally think this whole thing is about going to heaven when we die. If you read Revelation 21 and 22, and I encourage you to do that because we can't do all that today, what we find is not us going to heaven, but heaven coming to us. And so here John says God is creating a whole new reality, but it's not what we normally think of. We think of 
angels and harps and we're going to spend eternity sort of floating around in the clouds playing nice little Christian songs, okay? But that is not the picture that John gives us here. He says God is going to fulfill creation. He's going to restore creation to what it was meant to be from the beginning. And it is still a real physical reality. A new heaven and a new earth. Totally different, okay? Something brand new, but yet still just as real as the world in which we live today. And John says God is preparing that for us. And he also says at the end of the verse, which seems like sort of tacked on and odd to us, there's no longer any sea. Well, we sort of like going to the ocean, so heaven without the ocean doesn't make sense. But what's he talking about? Well, in the ancient world, the sea was almost always a symbol, a pointer to chaos and danger. Why? Because you can't control the sea, right? We know that from the way hurricanes work in our world now. We cannot control the sea. And if you lived in a time when boats were much smaller, without navigational equipment, much dif more difficult to travel, they really never felt safe when they were in a boat on the sea. In fact, it seemed like there was always a threat. And in fact, if you read those middle chapters of Revelation, there's a lot of dangerous things that show up. A bunch of them come from, guess what? The sea. Okay? So when John says there's no longer any sea, part of what he's saying is God's getting rid of chaos, which makes us feel unstable. He's speaking our language there. And he's getting rid of danger. Well, that makes sense. Because if we're looking for a world where we don't have to deal with the instability of the world we have now, we need to be rid of that. That's part of what John's saying there. Verse 2. I saw the holy city. This is heaven. This is the dwelling place of God. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. So he doesn't paint a picture of all of us sort of floating up. He paints a picture of the dwelling place of God coming down. Coming down to be with us so that God is with us. That's where we'll get in the next verse. But it's as though God is preparing all this. Even now, God is preparing all this for what is yet to be. And then God, this holy city, the dwelling place of God, joins us. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So rather than us floating around in the clouds, what we have here in this biblical picture, this vision John receives from God, is, is all of heaven joining us. So this new city, unlike the old Jerusalem, what's this, the center of the old Jerusalem? Well, it's the intersection of heaven and earth. It's the temple. It's the place where God meets humanity. Once a year, the most holy place, the chief priest goes in and meets with God. Don't need that anymore. The picture of Jerusalem we get here is, is a Jerusalem without a temple because God's presence spreads out over all creation. So he dwells with us. Now, when I hear that, what immediately comes to my mind is another writing from John. 
the Gospel of John. Now, we've studied this before. At the beginning of the Gospel of John, we have this first section before John tells the story of Jesus. He talks about who Jesus is. If he's the Son of God, what does that mean that the Son of God becomes a human being? Well, part of what he says is this, and we find it at the end of that section, John chapter 1, verse 14. John says, the Word, that's Jesus, the Word became flesh, a human being, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's the same word that we find all the way at the end of our Bibles, at the end of John's writings in Revelation 21, 3. God dwelled among us. So what John is saying is, God has been at work from the very beginning. And the culmination of that work up to that point was Jesus, God's Son, as a human being, in flesh, with a physical reality just like us, dwelling among us. So living among us, showing us what life is really all about, teaching, preaching, living, and then dying and being raised from the dead. And all of that is just a pointer forward to the very end where God dwells among us, not just as one of us in one physical location, location, but filling all of creation with his presence. So that wherever we go, whatever we do for eternity, we are always in the presence of God. And that's the good news for us that that's what it looks like for us to be with God, quote-unquote, in heaven, as heaven and earth are brought together. Verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And that's what John did, and that's what we're reading. But what John says there is, all the stuff that makes this life feel so unstable, so questionable, so fearful, death and mourning and tears and pain, all that stuff in this new reality is gone. Well, why? Because we are in the presence of of God. So what John is telling us is, is if that we're followers of Jesus, we should be a people of hope. Now the world may look at us sometimes and caricature us and make us look like we're a people of fear, but John is telling us that is not who we should be. We should be a people of hope. And so the lesson for us is we have hope because God has a plan. And that really is what I want us to learn from this passage. We have hope because God has a plan and he's working that plan. Now, that does not mean that God says, if you follow me, listen, your life's going to be easy. God's going to give you everything you want and you're not going to have to struggle and you don't have to worry about the future because it's going to be no problem. Now, we know that's not true because we know that for every single one of us, this life ends in death. 
Unless Jesus returns, that's just a, a fact. We are all going to face death. And that is a hard reality that we would just as soon avoid. This life is not filled with ease and God doesn't promise it. So how do we find hope in this passage? And how does that give us stability in an unstable world? Well, I think there's three things that we can do that can help us with this since we have hope because God has a plan. First of all, Remember that God is at work. Okay, part of what John is telling us is that God is at work now. He will be at work in the future. And He's been at work for a long time. It's not just that God created human beings and then, yeah, Adam and Eve messed it up, so God had to figure out, what do I do now? It's that God knew from the beginning how this was going to work. And then if we look back to the Old Testament, we see people like Isaiah that he quotes in this passage saying, God is going to make something new. Now it's shadowy and it's hard to figure out through some of that. But then as we see Jesus ushered in, he begins to show us more and help us realize what God is doing. And then John gives us this vision of what is God is going to do. God is active in all of that through that whole stream of salvation history. God is at work. And he's at work even now. And so God pays attention to us. And God cares about us. And God loves us. So it's not that God just ignores us and whatever happens, happens. But that God is active and engaged in our world and with us even today. Second thing, trust that this life is not all there is. Now that's a hard truth. Because well, we're, we're experiencing this world right now. You're hearing me talk, you're seeing me, you're breathing air in, you feel either heat or cold. Or This world is very real to us. And to imagine that this is not all there is, pretty hard for us to do. But part of what John is telling us is this isn't all there is. Now, John does not say, Jesus does not say, this world doesn't really matter. It doesn't count for anything. That's not what he's saying. God created this good world and filled it with what he called very good, which is the creation of humanity. And so it does matter. And in fact, that's what this story is about, is redeeming all of that creation. So what happens here really does matter, has eternal consequences. The way we live our lives here and now matters. But it's not all that there is. There is more, and God is planning for more, and we can have hope because of that plan. So we are looking forward to what God will be doing. And then finally, depend on God's promises for eternity. We can depend on the fact that God has called us to forgiveness and salvation and to eternal life. So people have been depending on that promise for a long time, right? Because God's people have not always had it easy. I mean, there have been people who have been persecuted and killed because of their faith. There are Christians who lived in our country who were enslaved and separated from families and forced to do work that they shouldn't have to do. And, and they followed Jesus and they expected something more in eternity. We can find examples of that throughout Christian history. And what we're called to do is depend on those same promises. This world is not always easy. It is sometimes very unstable. But in the midst of that, I hope that in some way 
you can find stability in the fact that we as Christians are called to be a people of hope. Why? Because God has a plan. Let's pray together. We are so thankful that this world, with limitations, with its pain, with death, with fear, is not all there is. We are thankful for this life, but God, we anticipate what you're planning to do in the future. God, we want to be a hope, a people of hope. So God, we pray that you will fill us with the hope that comes only from our confidence in you, our faith in you. And God, we pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.